Good day, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and members of the Shasha Nation. Welcome to another episode. My name is Tayo Muyo, your interviewing plug. I don't know what that means, but, anyways. It's another episode, and I'm your host for today. That's because your host is on the hot seat. How are you today, Afistanova? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I don't get your type energy. Where you get that energy from? Creator of the energy <laughs> from? What type of energy? Yes, no, I'm, the, I'm the creator of the energy for, so you know, the energy is inbuilt, is within, is in the DNA. I wanted to ask, what's the name of your physics teacher? Because that energy force, I want to know the formula. <laughs> now God, now God, now God. Right. The way I would like to start this discussion is to ask you how you got the name for your podcast. How did you come up with that name? And I also want to ask how you also came um, about the name Afistonova. Let me start from the name of the podcast, yeah? It was, um, I think it was something very easy for me to come up with. I've always, or I've always been into music reviews for a very long time. You know, I've been writing, literally, like, I write music reviews on my blog back then. That was how it all started. So when I wanted to do podcast, I needed, you know, a name that will capture what it is exactly that I'm saying. And the idea of the podcast was to talk about new songs coming out every week. That was the idea. And I thought to myself, okay, so what do you call something new that every Nigerian use? And the word just came to my head, cha-cha. Cha-cha means brand new, you know, fresh. And that was where the cha-cha came in from. Then obviously the main one is music review, you know, podcast. So, but yeah, as for the name Afistonova, hey, that is like a long story, but I'm going to try and cut it short. So basically, the name Afistonova is a combination of my name and my nickname. My name is Afis or Abdul Afis normally, but my nickname used to be Fisto Bin Nova. That used to be my nickname. And I got that from a phone I used to use, which is called um, Supernova. That was where I got that from. So I took away the super and I added, you know, the Fisto being Nova into it. That means, you know, Fisto born of Nova. But with each name, I had like a different kind of um, personality. But I wanted a personality whereby I can combine both personalities together and just be one. And that name was what did it for me. It, it was actually a girl who called me the name out of mistake, you know, she just called the name out of mistake. And after like two, three days, I thought to myself, wait, what this girl said kind of made sense. Then I sat down, I wrote it down, like I wrote it out and I saw how I wanted the name to be constructed, how I wanted it to be called. And immediately I caught that, my, I immediately I called myself that name like twice. I could feel that energy. That was when the energy was born. That was when the energy was created. I could feel myself becoming a brand new person. And that was how Afistonova came to life. I wanted to actually ask how you started your podcast. But before I ask that, let's go back back in history and talk to me about how growing up was like for you, because that will make me and your listener understand where you are coming from. Because you see this thing, 
podcasting, anything we do, it's about our personality. And our personality is about where we come from, who we are, our parents, our identity, the environment, the school we go to, etc. So take us back in history. Let's talk about Afis Tonova when he was six months, when he was in his mother's womb. Talk to me about growing up, brother. Growing up, I had one of the most, uh, should I say, eventful, uh, you know, childhood in terms of activities and in terms of, um, you know, seeing things. I am one of those lucky people that got to understand, you know, much more about life before I got to my teenage years. I used to tell people, like, majority of the things that I know, you know, like, there were things I already probably knew before I was, give or take, 10 years old. You know, I, I got exposed to a lot of things. But one thing that remained, you know, constant for me throughout my exposure growing up was music. Music had always been a part of me. I grew up in Festac town. Then in Festac, if you were, if you grew up in Festac, there are probably like two or three things you could become. Like literally, if you are one of those people that your parent is straight, then obviously, you know, school, doctor, lawyer, whatever, whatever. But if you belong to the street, you know, someone like me that grew up on the streets, you are either going to become a musician or you become an actor or, you know, you just probably go into fraud. Those are the three things that the streets have to offer. And for me, I've been around music, like I said, I've been around um, the likes of Two-Face, Asados, um, Tony Tuetula, Sans Sultan, may God bless his soul. You know, I literally grew up with these people. So, like I said, I had music around me. By that point, I didn't understand, you know, what it was. I just knew that, okay, these people were artists and they were singing and that was just it, you know. But like I said, growing up, I was exposed to a lot of things, things that, you know, someone my age shouldn't expose to. I started running from the cops, I think, when I was about um, six years old. I, I used to be among all these big bros whereby they would be playing, um, they would be gambling. And then I was talking about 1990-something when gambling was highly illegal, you know, in Nigeria. Like, now, these days, you can see people hanging around playing snooker and it was it's all legal. But back then, playing snooker was highly illegal. If they catch you, you know, you're going to go to the police station. And I was a kid on the street growing up, so I was among all these people. And when they have their gamble, you know, there's this thing they say, only that was the person that owes uh, the money. So they give me the cash, you know, so that they know that when police come, the thing that police will do is just give me a knock on my head and say, go home. They won't get me arrested. And all the money is going to be with me. So they will get, you know, all chased and all that, but I will be the one to take the money home. And the next day, when they eventually release them, I share back their money to them. And I also take my own court, you know, to buy biscuits or to buy whatever it is I need to buy. But yeah, I enjoyed, you know, or I appreciate, let me use the word I appreciate. I appreciate, you know, all those things because by the time I was going into a teenager, I already knew the options that life presented. So I already knew that, okay, if I take two steps towards this place, this is how I might end up. If I take two steps towards that place, this is how, you know, I might end up. So I was, I was like giving like a guide whereby all my, you know, peers at that point, they were trying to experiment, doing this, doing that. Some of them ending up with bad decisions. I already had an idea of, oh, if I decide to, you know, start doing this at this point in time, this is what will happen and that will, what will happen. And that, in a way, helped my growth and my understanding, you know, about life, 
you know, very much. So basically, yeah, that's, you know, what growing up was like for me. It was rough, it was tough, and at the same time, you know, it was sweet. And oh, yes, just to mention, I used to be a very, very great dancer when I was small. As a matter of fact, my nickname used to be Michael Jackson, but we can't dance anymore, it is well. <laughs> <laughs> There's what we call street smartness or being street smart. And I'm just wondering and curious, what's the biggest lesson the streets ever taught you in your own opinion, thinking about it now? And what is the biggest thing you think you could have gotten from the streets that wasn't really, really good and you had to kind of probably unlearn later when you grew up? Uh, okay, let me start from the second question. I think something about the streets that, you know, I kind of was forced or, you know, was being pushed on top, uh, you know, was um, my approach, you know, towards ladies. The street had no, um, it had no respect. Let me use that word, you know, for ladies. You could see a girl literally walking by and, you know, you just walk out and like, hey, baby, what's up? Shake that house, you know. Some words that are not polite for you to say to a lady. But like rightly said, growing up, I began to learn that, okay, these things are not what is, you know, supposed to be. And for some of the things that the street taught me, I feel like the street taught me a lot of good things, but I feel like the most important one that I owed there, even at that very young age, is like life is too short because I was about um, seven when I witnessed, uh, you know, um, the first um, cold-blooded murder. So at that particular point, I knew like, man, shit, seeing the guy on the floor bleeding out and everything and nobody had the God to, you know, go there to help him up until about maybe two hours later. That was when I knew that, look, man, life is too short. And when it comes to it at the end of the day, I'm a man, you on your own, no? the streets does not send you at all. That was number one. Then number two, never, ever you know, snitch on the streets. I mean, never betray the streets. Stay loyal to your people. I mean, like, stay very, very loyal to your people. Loyalty is one thing I learned on the streets. Yeah, let's talk Sam Sultan. You, you mentioned him in passing in one of, your, one of the answers to your question. Yeah. I follow your status, and I know that when he passed on, you even did an episode, like a tribute to him. Um, talk to me about him. When did you get introduced to his music and who is it to you? Okay, Sultan is um Sultan is a big bros, you know, to me. I first of all got introduced to Sultan um when he did the song Jack Bajantis. That day, there's this um, like I said, I grew up in Festa. So for those for those people that know Festa Guerrero, there's this place called um 402 Road. You know, that was where I grew up, and there's this block called um Block Seven. That was where one of the producers there, Nelson Brown, that was where he used to stay. In the night, around, let's say, um, six, seven, eight, they used to fry um, fried yam and um, akara and stew. So around that time, I obviously, my dad, you know, God rest his soul also, would send me to go and get him akara. And I'll go there. And most times, that's where all these people, you, you see them as outdoors. Uh, you know, two-face, face, black face. That's where they would be. You know, they would just be, you know, doing some acapella shit and stuff like that. So it was one of these days that I went there and I got to meet, you know, Sam Sultan, the tall, lanky, skinny guy then. And he was doing acapella of that. Uh, no, it was not even, it, was, it wasn't even there. Somebody was playing the tape for those that was around there. Somebody was playing the everybody, oh, y'all join Jack Bajanti. Somebody was playing the tape for them. 
and it was not even a tape that was recorded on a beat or anything. It was just like an acapella version. And immediately I had that, I knew that, man, I like, I like, like, I like this song. I like this song. And that was the first time I heard the name, you know, Sound Sultan, you know, as a kid growing up. And after that, the song came out. And when I saw the song on television, I was like, ah, I don't hear this song before. And I like, I, I was one of the first people that, you know, had this song, that bragging rights and all that. Then I think the second time that I actually, you know, have like a vivid uh, collection where we had like a little conversation was in 20, oh man, I can't remember. I think 20, 2009 or 2008. So I went for um, a video shoot and Sultan was the one directing, you know, the video shoots as I then. So I got there, you know, I saw Sam Sultan. I was like, hey, Baba, what's up? What's this up? And I was like, hey, I could. And you know, the, the, most, the most interesting thing about him is the video shoot was supposed to start, I think, around 12 that afternoon. The video shoot did not start until, let's say, 8 p.m. in the night. And all through, Sultan was just seated in one place, you know, pressing his phone and asking for updates, like, how far? We don't already, you know, how far? You could not even tell. Because I remember, I remember I went with a friend and I told my friend, like, look, now Sultan sit down there. And he was like, nah, that can't be Sam Sultan. Like, ah, someone of his caliber would just sit down like that. You know, there was no pride. There was no, he was so humble. Well, just seated alone, you know, just minding his business. And you could literally just take him for somebody else. You know, like literally you could take him for somebody else. So that was, you know, the second time I met Sultan and we just had a little chat. Hey, Baba, what's up? You know, this music thing. Because then I was also actually trying to get into music. You know, and he also gave me a little bit of advice. Then after that, the next time I met Sultan was when he was having his carnival. This was 2009, December. So they, was, they were having this um, satellite carnival. And, you know, once it comes to satellite carnival, the only carnival you have to be is the Sound Sultan carnival. It brings in a lot of artists. That was also when I met uh, DJ Z's. I met The Green. I met um, Baba D, Black. A lot of them, you know, they were there. So, and I was part of the, um, the crew that went to cover the carnival, the cameraman that went to cover the carnival. My family friend, you know, I play media. He had at that time started working for Sultan. So we also got, you know, closer. So in a way, I can basically say Sultan was like, you know, a family to me, like an extended family to me because, you know, I had a lot of encounter with, you know, South Sultan. It's just so sad, you know, what happened, happened. You mentioned that at a point also you wanted to become a musician. You also mentioned that you also had the talent for dancing. Talk to me about that dream and how what you did to try to make that dream a realization and how it finally went. Okay, so for the dancing, nah, dancing did not go past it did not go past primary school. That dancing, you know, literally died immediately. I left primary school and I got secondary school. There was no even dream about that. I didn't even, the only thing I could remember was I could dance now. I mean, they used to call me Michael Jackson. That was all. But as for the singing, yeah, I think um, I started writing lyrics when I was in um, SS, um, SS2. That was when I started writing lyrics. But I didn't really show it to anybody, not until I got to year two in my university. I met, um, you know, my uh, music partner, then We were just, you know, just having a normal discussion about music. And then he mentioned that he writes songs and blah, 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 blah. And I also mentioned that, oh, I write songs also. And he said, let me see. And I was very, very skeptical and I was very, very shy to show what I had written because I'd never shown anybody. 
And I didn't want it to feel like, oh man, you wrote nonsense. So I just showed him and I was like, wow, this is this is this is good. Like I love your punchlines and you know, you could really use this. I was like, for you? I was like, yeah, for you. And that was how the conversation just blew. And before we knew it, we formed a group, we formed a rap group, both of us. And before you knew it, got into the studio, did our first song. And before we knew it, we became one of the most uh, you know, popular rapper as at that time in Olabisi on Obanjo University. If there's anybody that went to Olabisi on Obanjo University from, let's say, 2009, 2012, it would be difficult for them not to know the name Kesnova or Martian Forces. Unless, of course, those people, you know, are not part of the, you know, people that socialize in school, maybe they are the book type and all that. But if you're part of the people that socialize, that you go to events, then there is no way you will not know our name because we really gave it a we really gave it a good run. You know, we shook them and we let them that hey, look, there are some new rappers on the block, and yeah, we are here to take over. And we did the best we could. But leaving school and getting into Lagos and seeing how you know the music industry works. And that was when I just said, okay, you know what now? Nah, I'm not going to do music unless I have money to push myself because. It's like you're going to become a slave for somebody else. And then you still had our parents that still wanted us to, you know, be serious with life, quote and unquote. Because even then, you are doing music, they still see you as not being serious with life. So all those things combined us from this journey of now, nah, you know, I'm done with music for now. Maybe later in the future, but for now, I'm done with music. And that was how, you know, I pursued the dream and I ended the dream like that. Now, there's this story I read on your status. Um when you talked about how your dad introduced you to a genre of music. Um, can you talk to me about the influence of your dad as regards music? What kind of influence did he have on you? Uh, first of all, let me say, my dad, you know, may so rest in peace. Uh, his influence on me musically was not something that was direct. You know, I wouldn't say he influenced me directly, but I would say he influenced me a lot. Because, I mean, if not for my dad, I wouldn't have been a fan of Fela. I think my dad bought about three or four Fela CDs and we listening to it almost every day. And aside from Fela's music also, my dad also listened to people like Obey, Collington, Barista. Once in a while, they listened to Sonia Day. So those um, Fuji music and um, yes, Apala. There's also Aruna Eshola in the mix also. So those were the kind of music that my dad were listening to. And my dad was a music person in his own way. You know, he wasn't fanatic about music. But then again, when he puts on a record and he starts playing it, you could tell that, okay, this man Sabi, he knows what he's doing. You know, he knows this music. But with my dad, because, I mean, if my dad is at home Saturday morning or Sunday morning, and once you are done with your house shows and everything, you just put in the music. And you begin to hear it. Or if you're traveling, road trip, road trip, my dad used to be fun because my dad is always having some selected cassettes in his car that he's going to play. And as a kid then, like I said, because I've always been a fan of music, whenever he plays those music, I'd rather listen to those music than just to sleep. And that was how, you know, I got introduced to a lot of, so like I said, it wasn't as if I was, it's not as if he, you know, he influenced me directly by saying, oh, you must listen to this, oh, you must listen to that. But just from him playing those songs and vibing with those songs for his own enjoyment, I also got, you know, a feeling of those uh, music and I got, you know, in tune 
uh, you know, with those music, you know, so that was how he was able to, you know, influence me musically. Um, and, and definitely read so many of your, of your throwbacks on, on your status. And earlier this year, anytime I go through your status and you talk about the lesson that your dad taught you, I'm like, wow. And so it kept me wondering, I, I really do not know if you are open to discussing this, but as I listened today when we were on Clubhouse and how you talked about um, how you were able to navigate that with your podcasting or, and I'm just wondering, there could be someone who is listening to your podcast, one of your listeners who is facing one or two things, probably something similar. And there's this part where music is powerful too. Music is something some people just go to, to kind of when they are happy. And so some people could also be coming to your podcast. Probably they are sad, they are facing through things. I just want to ask, how were you able to navigate that period of time? Even considering the fact that, like you said yesterday, if I remember correctly, you did not even stop your podcast episode. Instead, in your own words, you said, you put yourself into it as if like hook, line, and sinker. Are you open to talking to me about that period and how your podcast was, was able to help you to navigate that period of your life? Uh, well, I'm going to try as much as I can to keep it, you know, short and simple, not to, you know, because trust me, there's a whole lot to say about that, but I'll just try and keep it, you know, um, short or simple. But, but I think um, the basic thing is, okay, so I'm going to say this here. I personally did um, something that um, I just later realized it was um, toxic. And what I did was I, at first, I didn't allow myself to grieve. Instead of grieving, I threw myself into the podcast, you know, I just kept on putting the podcast, putting out the podcast, kept recording, kept recording because I didn't want to grieve. I feel like if I just stop, you know, putting out the podcast episode, then I will have to grieve. And I didn't just want to grieve. I didn't just want to believe, you know, that it was gone. But after a while, I decided, you know what? No, I couldn't do this anymore because I, be I, I became so um, tired. I became so exhausted and it was beginning to affect, you know, my mental health. So I decided that, you know what? No, let me find a better way to grieve. And I thought, okay, wait, what is that one thing that if my dad was alive today, we can sit down together and talk about together? And music came into my head. So what I did was I remembered those songs we used to listen to while we were traveling or when we were just in the house. And I began to look for those songs and I started to just listen to those songs, you know, just to remember those good moments when, you know, my dad, would, I'll be my dad's star and this song will be playing and I'll just be sitting down watching my dad singing it word for word. So that was basically, you know, how I was later able, you know, to cope with it in a much more, um, you know, um, healthy way. So I just got music that we used to listen to together. And I started playing those music and those music, you know, they were bringing back memories. As painful as those memories were, they were also sweet because then I got, I started to realize in as much as my dad was not there, you know, 75% of the time, like literally wasn't there when I was growing up. It was either in Calabar or Potapot or Abuja somewhere working. Most times when I see my dad, it was always doing the holidays, but, Beyond all of that, I started to realize there was something that still gave us a bond. There was something that still made us add that father and son 
you know, connection. And that was music. So I just allowed myself to start enjoying, you know, I went back listening to a lot of Fela's songs. I went back listening to a lot of Barista songs. And that was what was able to allow me, you know, to grieve in a very, very, uh, you know, um, LD way. Now, you mentioned that um, before you started the podcast, you were writing on your blog. And before I ask how you finally transitioned from the blog to the podcast, I also know that you, you write whether books or short articles and all. In fact, there's this article you wrote on the Nigeria pod or blog that was pretty succinct. And so I was wondering, or I am wondering, how you got involved in writing and talk to me about the blog or writing about music and how the transition to the podcast? Um, I got into writing through uh, my secondary school teacher, Mr. Ibinaike. May God bless that man wherever he is, every time, any day. You know, I've, you know when you're in, then when we're in secondary school and they always give you essay and they say, you know, write about yourself or write about an holiday that you went to go and spend in London, even though you're in Nigeria. You know, all those just essay write-up and everything. So uh, he was a new teacher. He came to the school, I think, when I was in SS1 or SS2. I can't remember when exactly he came into the school. But on our, on our exam, our first term exam, I, you know, I did a write-up, and I think the write-up had to do with um, Adai Noon. So I wrote, you know, the story about Adai Noon, and I submitted. And while, after the whole examination and the marking script, he called me and he was like, yeah, it was an SS2 because I could remember, it was like, um, if I'm going to write my YA, that I should make sure that it's a story that I write, that I am very good in writing stories, that my imagination, you know, that although my vocabulary, you know, are not that much, but my imagination and the way of how I can narrate a story is very good. And it wants me, you know, to work on that. So like every week or every two weeks, he either gives me an assignment to write a story or whenever he teaches the junior ones and they write a story, he gives me to mark them, you know, and, you know, um, to see which story had the best, uh, which um, students had the best story and all that. So that was where the initial, uh, you know, um, writing started for me. I think that was when I now got to discover that, oh, I think I can write as a talent. You know, that was where it all originated from. And from that point on, I kept writing. Transitioning that into... Um, started, I started writing about music. I honestly, I honestly can't remember how I got into writing about music, but I feel like it will be probably me writing just an article consigning a particular topic on music. And I liked it and I felt, oh, I should continue writing about music. And before you knew it, going from, you know, talking about, oh, you know, the music industry as a whole, I started moving into writing about songs coming out, you know, on a weekly basis because I listen to these songs on a weekly basis. So I just started, you know, writing about them. And that was how I moved from, you know, general writing into writing into music. Then when I got on the radio station, I needed a show whereby I could do on my own. And I felt like, hey, why are you, you are writing about music now? Why not just, instead of you writing about this music now, why not just be talking about it on your radio show, right? So what I do is, when it's time for me to host my show, I just go to my blog and I literally just read from what I have written on my uh, blog, on my radio show. And that's just like, 
how it all started, you know, for me. So the first thing first is I write on the blog. I think I write on the blog on um, on Thursday. Then Friday, I read from the blog on my radio show. And that was how, you know, that started. And that was literally when it was time for me to do my podcast. I mean, I, like I said, it was only natural that music was the only thing I could talk about because that's the only thing that has been constant in my life from day one to that particular point in my life. And I thought, now there's nothing else I want to do rather than talk about music because I'm very good at it. And that was how, you know, the transition went. Well, how did you move or why did you move from radio to podcasting? You could have just done this on radio. Okay, so the radio thing, I... During the 2017 recession, um, you know, I got, um, I was part of those people that was um, let go because uh, the radio station I was working for was downtrend. Uh, they were cutting their losses and, you know, eventually they folded up. So they let us go because they couldn't pay us and everything. So I was really, really struggling to go back on radio. Like I was struggling a lot at the point I even got depressed and all that. And I just needed something, you know, to do, but nothing was coming on. So I moved I left that for a while. I left um, digital marketing and I was doing digital marketing. Then one day I listened to a podcast episode. I was on Instagram doing something and I saw a post about a podcast. I literally had no idea what podcasting was. I just clicked on it and I listened. Immediately I heard the voice in the first 20 seconds. I knew, like I knew that this was what I was going to do. Like, this is what I wanted to do in my life at that part. I just knew, like, this was what I wanted to do. So I listened to the old podcast episode, and that was on the first day. The second day, again, I went back to Grand just to be sure, you know, maybe it was because it was sounding like something that I used to know. I just wanted to be sure. I listened to it for the second time. It's still, I still had that belief that I almost know. Now, everything would be this last, last. The third time, the same thing. Then I decided, okay, you know what? Now that I'm certain that this is what I want to do, let me reach out, you know, to the owner of this podcast. And that podcast was what literally changed, you know, the course of my life at that particular point in time. It gave me, you know, a sense of purpose. And that was um, a podcast episode by um, Queen Rafi, um, Queen Rafi Space, that's the name of the podcast. And the host is Queen Rafi. And for that, because I remember, like I said, the first 20 seconds of listening to that podcast, I knew that this was what I was going to do. And at that point, I think I had a feeling like, you know what? <laughs> Even if radio does not come back to you, if you do this, you are good. You are golden. You are solid. And that was just it. In, in society, there are a number of things that when you begin to discuss, people just leave facts and begin to argue on emotions. And I was listening to one of your podcasts you did um, recent lighting with Mutolanio, if I'm correct. And then before you started discussing with him, you said something that goes along the line like, oh, we're going to talk about facts here. And if you just want to just debate on emotions, you can leave right now. And so I'm wondering, have you ever discussed a topic that was so controversial in terms of your own position? And there was a backlash of, of some sort, someone coming to your DM. And what do you even think about putting in on your own opinion? Say, for example, this song is good. And this song, uh, uh, um, I don't think it is, um, um, it's somehow, 
are you all concerned that you would receive some sort of backlash from people who hold strong beliefs like yourself in a particular artist or in a particular song? I won't say I've had backlash, but what I've had is, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, what we call we agree to disagree. You know, I've had that conversation a lot with people. But yeah, I don't always have that concern because I try as much as I can to be as objective as I can. And when I use my own perspective, I make it clear that this is my own perspective. So even if the one who come for me, you know, I already put that disclaimer there, like, this is my perspective. So if you are not coming for me based on that, I just refer you to, sorry, didn't you hear when I said, this is my own perspective, not, you know, me talking as a music uh, critic. And I won't lie to you, it is hard because there are times there are some songs, personally, I would like those songs. But those songs on a general level might not be as good as what is expected. So what I do is this most times. So let's say, for example, I'm reviewing um, this new song by Bonaboy and um, Whiskey titled Ballon d'Or. So um, I try as much as I can, you know, to break it down into pieces. And I talk about every piece of the song. I talk about the beat. I talk about the rhythm and the feel of the song, the vibe of the song. I try as much as I can not to talk about the lyrics because most times these songs are party songs. Unless, again... It is a song where I need to talk about the lyrics that I talk about the lyrics. So when I break down these things in all these aspects and I give a rating, most times it seems fair enough because I've literally taken my time to explain to you how I got to that rating. It's a different case when I say, oh, Ballon d'Or, Bonaboy and Whiskey is not a good song. The rating is going to be two. And you'll be wondering, but the beat is good now. Why would you not call it two? But this thing is good now, you understand? So when I begin to break it down, I tell you, oh, the beat is good, the production is superb, but, you know, uh, Whiskey, mm, at the end, after a while, you know, he faded out, and for that reason, I'm probably going to give the song, you know, a 6 over 10. Then I also kind of predict, you know, if the song is going to have good airplay or with a good video. There are some songs that when you hear it at first, you might not like it. But once it comes out with a video, the video amplifies the song. So I try to do all of that and give a rating. So at the end of the day, you might also listen to it and you say, I've had a lot of people say, ah, yeah, what you said about that song. Yes, it's true. I think if you do this, you do this. But me, I still like Isha, you know. And at the end of the day, I also put it there that, oh, so if you are a fan of this particular genre of music or this particular kind of music, then you will like this song. But if that is not the kind of music that you are listening to, then it is better for you not to pay, you know, attention to the song. But I've not really gotten that backlash where somebody will come and, oh, start insulting me. Like I said, most times it's both, it's all about, you know, we agree to disagree most times. And most of the times, they agree. Now, let me put you on the spot. What's your best song this year? Now, that's a, that's a big one. Ah. I'm not going to lie to you. I have a lot of songs that are, you know, my best song this year. But let me just mention, like, you know, maybe like top three that I've really, really enjoyed. So I'll say, um, what's the name of this song uh, by Ira Star, Bloody Samaritan, Zinoliski, Kinofeshe. That was like one of the best Ama Piano songs I've heard so far. Then there is another song from, uh, what's his name? Kiss Daniel. Uh, the song is titled um, uh, Pour Me Water. You know, a lot of songs that came out this year, Joe Boy, Alcohol, Baby Reading by Fave. You know, so many songs. It's hard for me to pick what my best song has been. Best music artist 
of all time for you. House to face in Libya, easy, anytime, any day. <laughs> why, why, why would you pick two face? If I don't pick him, who else would I pick? I've been listening to him all, like literally all my life. For him to be able to, you know, survive all this decade and still make timeless music till date. I mean, it's just beyond exceptional. It's beyond exceptional. Whiskey or David? Oh boy, that's gonna be a tough for man. If I'm to pick, I think I'll pick. I'll pick the both of them. I beg. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about these guys coming together, Peter and Paul? Oh man, that has to be like the biggest. Um, if they're looking for the biggest um music, should I say miracle of 2021? That has to be it. Like. I won't, I won't lie to you. The fact that they were able to put aside their differences and come together, not just as B-square, but as brothers, you know, that meant that meant a whole lot to me. And it gave me a whole lot of, you know, I don't know, but I felt really, really good that finally, yeah, I mean, they were meant to be together. They were not meant to separate, you know, even though if they decide to do separate music, do your separate music, come back together and give us good music. So I'm really, really glad you know, that they were able to work things out and they are back together. And I hope this time around, you know, yes, they can decide to do their solo things and always come back to give us a P-Square album. I'm really, really looking forward to that. What do you hope to achieve with your podcast? Like, what would happen that you're like, now I'm fulfilled. This is what I set out to do in the first place. When everybody in the world cannot stop talking about African music, that is the aim. I remember a discussion I had with one of my friends um, who is like PR and media, and he placed on his status sometimes this week saying that many of artists, and I think you discussed this with Motolani, that many of the artists or a good number of artists or a few artists, Nigeria or African artists are beginning to sell out um, big international venues around the world. Exactly. But he was asking that, does this show that African music is beginning to have penetration to cultures that are not predominantly Africa, do not have any tie with Africa? Or is it just that it's the same Africans who are living in the diaspora that are um, coming to these events? Do we have the statistics? Can we say that African music or Afrobeat has gotten to a level where um, an American who is born American beginning to listen to it and is beginning to be infused into the culture of America, Asia, and other cultures that are not predominantly or do not have ties with Africa. What do you think about that before we wrap it up? Uh, well, I'm going to be honest with you and say from the onset, African music, you know, quote and unquote right about now, or Nigerian music, quote and unquote right about now, has always cut across, you know, the global stage. It's just of how big, you know, did it get? I mean, in the 70s and the 80s, we had, um, you know, a lot of foreign record label comics in Nigeria to sign the likes of Sonia Day, Majek Fashek. These were Nigerian musicians that they were putting on foreign labels. So, yeah, the growth of African music has always been. But, you know, like you rightly said, are you going to say it is the Africans in outside Africa that are listening to this music or, you know, the non-Africans are also connected to it? And the answer is going to be both. I mean, it takes one, you know, to plug one person to the other. The fact that Justin Bieber, who is like, you know, the king of pop, let me use that word, you know, had a song by Wizkid 
which is a Nigerian artist, and decided that he wants to be on the remix of that song, says a lot about how much the song, how much uh, our music has cut across, you know, to the other side. But the truth is, you can't deny the fact that the Africans outside, you know, Nigeria or outside Africa, they've done a whole lot to contribute to the African music, you know, by listening to it. But no way you, you are not going to say that, oh, because it is Africans that are listening to it, other Africans have also not tapped in. I mean, let's take, for example, uh, Bonaboy's song went uh, platinum or went gold in France. You know, in as much as you want to say, oh, yeah, there are Africans in France, but at the same time, there are also French people and white people in France that listen to those songs. And I don't think you will look at the whole population of France and you say, oh, the Africans there are more than the French citizens, you know, there. You understand what I'm saying? Same thing goes to, you know, maybe uh, goes to Canada. So the truth is, in as much as we don't have, you know, a definite statistics that actually shows, okay, these are the non-Africans that listen, you know, to this, and these are the Africans that actually listen to this. But you cannot deny the fact that both Africans and non-Africans have started connecting, you know, to uh, Nigerian and African music. So I'm going to say it's a combination of both. What's the best episode in terms of number this year? I'm not going to lie to you. I can't remember what particular episode it is, but I know the episode has to be one of the one I did with one of, um, either the one I did with Dollar for the Vibe, which is a spotlight series, or the one I did with um, Martin Fuse, which is also a spotlight series. But it is one of those series that I did with one of uh, you know the fast rising artists that I used to do on the podcast. It's one of those two. But I can't really remember which of which at the moment. It's been a, a, an opportunity to speak to you on your podcast. But before I let you go, I would want to give you an opportunity to speak to your audience. Because I know as a podcaster that there is no podcast without people listening to, to us week after week, month after month. Um, the floor is yours. What would you love to say to them? Oh, okay. So let me say this the way I normally used to say it. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and members of the Chacha Nation. Yes, you know, it is me, Afistonova, a.k.a. your musical plug creator of the energy force and i just want to say thank you very much for being you know the amazing fan any podcasters can ask of i mean this year has been a very very tough year for me but you guys has kept me going i say thank you nago day you know obrigado gracias merci beaucoup asante sana to every cha-cha gang across the globe United States, UK, Germany, Canada, France, Nigeria, South Africa, Kenya, Uganda, Ethiopia. I can mention almost all the countries that are listening to my podcast. And for every single person out there that wakes up on a Saturday and say, yes, let me plug in the Cha Cha Music Review Podcast, I say thank you very much because without you, I'm not going to be here. And I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please continue, you know, to listen to the Chacha Music Review Podcast. Trust me, 2022 is going to be a much more bigger year 
there is a lot of things that I have in stock for the podcast, but I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag because I like, you know, just dropping those things as a surprise. I'm just going to keep it on the But for everybody listening to me, I want to say thank you very much for the support. I really, really do appreciate. Without you guys, I won't be able to, you know, to have achieved everything that has achieved this year. And trust me, we did achieve a lot. We had about five episodes that crossed a thousand played. You know, we got featured by an international podcaster. We got featured on an international platform to, talk about, to come and talk about the podcast. And none of this would have been possible without you guys. Oh, we even had our own theme song, like our own theme song. Do you imagine that? So again, like I said, Thank you guys very much. It's like come your way with a brand new season of the Chacha Music Review Podcast. My name will always remain Afis Tonova, aka your musical blog creator of the Energy Force. Peace out. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to host on your own podcast. My name is Dio Moyo. Chacha gang, Chacha nation, thank you, one love, one love.